I'm Dave Rubin and this is the Rubin Report. Quick reminder to subscribe and make sure that you get notified of our videos. Why not, right? Okay, joining me today is an author, economist, and former advisor to President Trump, Steve Moore, welcome to the Rubin Report. Hi Dave, Report. thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you here. We're gonna have to talk somewhat quick because you're in a major time crunch here. So this uh, is- It's an honor to be on the show. It, I'm thrilled to have you here. This is gonna be a little quicker than okay. my average show, so I usually do Rapid a little- Rapid fire, right? I do a little backstory <laughs> usually. I try to find out where people are from and all sorts of stuff. We're gonna do that next time I sit down with you. Let's go right into economics. Okay. Um, as a Wall Street Journal guy and a longtime economist, and you uh, studied at George Mason and all of this stuff, how would you say your, uh, what, what would you say your economic principles are? Let's just do 101 more economics. Well, I believe in free, freedom and free markets. I believe that, you know, as Thomas Jefferson said, that government which governs least governs best. And, you know, get the government for the most part out of the way of the economy and it'll do just fine. That's not to say we shouldn't have regulation. We should certainly have smart, we want clean air and clean water and, you know, safe workplaces. Uh, we want a tax system that raises the revenue the government needs, but in a way that is non-confiscatory. Are you listening, Elizabeth Warren? And, you know, it <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about her in a little bit. It doesn't distort the economy. So I've been a flat tax guy for all my life. You know, I love the idea, you know, let's just have a really low rate, everybody pays it. You know, you make 10 times more money than I do, I pay, you know, you pay 10 times more tax and not 50 times more tax and get rid of all the loopholes in the tax system. So I, I believe the free enterprise system is the goose that lays the golden eggs. All right, so I'm, I'm basically with you on all of that, uh, but let's, let's do the flat tax for a second. So I would be basically for something like 15% for everybody. Would you do something to help the people yes. that are at the lowest? Yes. So a certain amount of people would pay nothing. Yeah, so like in the t standard flat tax plan, you said 15%, I'd love that, but most plans are about 18%. And then you basically say for a family of four, roughly your first, say, $30,000 earned is tax-free. And then, you, you know, above that amount, you pay a tax. So, you know, people below the power Poverty line are not paying any federal income tax, and uh, I think most people regard that as fair and equitable and very pro-growth, and we'd love to see it. The reason it doesn't happen is not even because you know liberals oppose it; it's the special interest groups in Washington. Do you think they want a flat tax? Right. You know, they, they the the lobbyists make money buying and selling favors in the tax code. If you have a flat tax, what do they have to sell? No buy? more, no more favors. If you really want to drain the swamp go to a flat tax. Would you do anything on the really high side of that? So right now, so right <laughs> now you mentioned, you mentioned Elizabeth well, you got Warren. A 19 is, is there something you would do just to kind of, even if it didn't work sort of economically in your mind, just to kind of throw you know the, the like progressives that? a bone? I get it, I get asked that question a lot. You know why I don't like that? Because you know, um, you say, well, why don't we just have 20% for the really rich? And then, then Elizabeth Warren says, well, not 25, why not 30, why not? You know, we had tax rates at one point in this country, 91%. Uh, so I don't like that idea because I think it perverts the, I love the idea everybody plays, pays the same rate. No, you know, the idea, oh, well, but we're just gonna have a surcharge on the Bill Gates and the Warren Buffetts of the world. They will pay their tax, you know, when they, when they earn their money, they will pay it. And by the way, they, those are people who employ you know, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of workers, they pay tax. So I, I don't, I, I want to I re retain the virtue and simplicity of one rate system. Right. Those guys are also always for raising taxes, and yet they don't voluntarily yeah, pay isn't more. Yeah, that interesting. What, what, what yeah. do you make of that, the mind well, of someone like that? there's a group called the Patriotic Millionaires. There's yeah. something like 100 millionaires and billionaires who've signed something saying, you know, we want to pay more tax. I call them the hypocritical <laughs> millionaires because, you know, the, uh, you know, there's nothing to prevent somebody, you know, at the bottom line of your tax form is, if you want to pay more money to the treasury, you know, you can write a check 
and none of them do that. So my feeling is that they are um, they want other people to pay more tax, but they don't want to pay more themselves. And then, and then they say, well, but the tax system isn't voluntary. And I'm like, wait a minute. You know, people voluntarily want to serve. You know, people ser- sign up for the military. Mm-hmm. Those, those are patriotic people. They care about our country and they they're willing to give their, uh, you know, potentially their, their life for our country. But these, quote, patriotic millionaires won't pay more tax themselves, but they want other people to pay more tax. Does it become one of those odd things where it's like the CEO of Walmart or something will publicly say that he's for a $15 minimum wage, where he knows actually it won't ultimately hurt him, but it'll hurt all of the small businesses that won't be able to afford it. He'll be able to afford it. Oh, yeah. You know, that's why a lot of the regulations in Washington that, you know, liberals want they are able to team up with the big companies because the big companies can absorb the cost of, you know, requiring a company to pay health care benefits or education benefits or raise their minimum wage. So it's a way actually of strengthening the big guys and strangling the small guys who are trying to, you know, compete with the with the big guys. So, you know, the small businesses are the ones who get hurt the most by those kinds of regulations. Right. It's interesting that you mentioned in relation to tax that you sort of you can even if you threw somebody a bone that it's never enough kind of which reminds me of the 15 minimum wage thing where Rashida Tlaib said, well, why not $20? And then it's like, well, Bernie or Warren or the rest of them, they have nothing to really stand on to say why it should be 15 and not 20. Because once you artificially put these numbers in. I'm for the highest wages Americans can possibly get. So how do you you ensure that then without doing too much government? Well, you don't have to have the government. First of all, one of the principles, you asked me about principle of economics. One good principle is you never want the government setting prices or setting wages. That's supposed to be done by the free enterprise system, the law of supply and demand. Even with a balanced, healthy diet, you may not cover your daily nutritional needs through food alone. Athletic Greens, a daily all-in-one health drink, takes the guesswork out of everyday good health. Whether you're taking steps towards a healthier lifestyle or you're an athlete pushing for better performance, your body's daily nutritional needs change due to stress, travel, sleep patterns, the environment, and more. One scoop of Athletic Greens mixed with water provides a convenient, affordable, and tasty solution to fill the gaps in your diet. With 75 proven vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, it's easier than ever to get comprehensive nutrition without multiple pills, powders, or complex routines. It's the most complete supplement for a better you, and it's gluten-free, dairy-free, keto, paleo, and vegan-friendly, contains no harmful chemicals, no GMOs, or funny additives. I love that it tastes great, and you don't have to drink a ton to feel the benefits. Take advantage of my special offer today, 20 free travel packs valued at 79 bucks with your first purchase, and try Athletic Greens. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Ruben. That's athleticgreens.com slash Ruben. And now back to the show. And when you have the government come in and set, you know, I'll give you as an aside, you were living here in Los Angeles. You know, in a lot of cities, you have rent control, you know, to try to make, uh, you know, housing more affordable for Poor people. Look, mm-hmm. we want, we all want people to have shelter and uh, a, a roof over their head. But it turns out, you know, this is a perfect example of the law of unintended consequences. It turns out when you actually impose rent control, you actually reduce the amount of affordable housing. And you actually have more people homeless, not mm-hmm. less. The New York City found that, and yet liberals seem to never, uh, you know, uh, understand that message. And it's the same thing, you know, with what were you asking me about the um, well, the min- the minimum wage. Yeah, the minimum it's like wage. It's not hinged to reality, sort of. So yeah. once someone says it should be fifteen, well, then yeah. why not twenty? Yeah, and then exactly. why not twenty-five? And so what ha- tends to happen when you raise the minimum wage is you actually 
essentially the people who tend to get hurt the most are the people with the least guilt because you essentially price them out of the market. You know, I always tell the story, you know, I have two teenage sons. I love them to death, but I'd never pay them $15 an hour, right? I mean, they just, you know, they don't have the training and skills to, to you know, warrant a $15 an hour wage. Why not, you know, especially for young people, let them work for 7 or 8 dollars an hour and gain the skills. You know, I remember very well, by the way, my first job, I think most people listening to this, watching the show, remember that. Do you remember the first job you ever had? I do. A paycheck? I, what, what was, was that? I was a paper boy. Paper boy, okay. I, I was, was a paper boy. I was working in a small warehouse in uh, Northbrook, Illinois. And, you know, uh, but you learn a lot with your first job, how to show up on time, how to be nice to your boss, how to learn some skills. So you learn that, you know, whether you're delivering newspapers or whether you're, you know, working in a factory. So uh, I don't like that about, you know, I like the letting the wages rise, and, and that's happened under Trump, by the way. We've gotten a really nice wage gains under Trump through the free enterprise system and creating a very light, tight labor market. I mean, w- workers have a lot of bargaining power right now. So you advised Trump on the tax cuts a couple yeah. of years ago. Um, talk to me just a little bit about, like, what's that like when you're sitting in a room with this guy? Like, what what are, are his guiding principles sort of economically, what you've kind of laid out there? So, I mean, he's first obviously all, a capitalist. Do you, have you, do you know Trump? I, well, I've never met him personally. So he's a very, he's a really good guy. I mean, believe it or not, I always say half-jokingly, yeah. you know, that he's kind of, most politicians are wonderful people in public and jerks in private. Trump can be a jerk in public, but a wonderful, but he is a wonderful person in private. I like <laughs> him a lot. He's, he's interesting. He's charming. He's attentive to what you're saying. He looks at you straight in the eye, and he wants to know, and he'll he'll combat you if you say something. You know, I like that. He'll he'll joust with you if he doesn't agree with your position. Which mm-hmm. you know, he'll have four or five people in the room, and they'll argue. And that's what a good CEO should do—not just surround themselves with yes men, but people who will argue out the point. So when you guys uh, sat down, and he's going, "I want to cut taxes," yeah. and this is one of the things I promised, yep. and now help me. Pull this thing so together. I'll give What's you one example. Like? Yeah. So it's a, it, this this tells you a lot about the tax bill, but it also tells you about Donald Trump. So I remember we went into Trump. This was Larry Kudlow, and I. Larry's yeah. now the chief economist, and we yeah. said, "Hey, you know, we we showed him this chart that had you know the U.S. tax rate on our businesses was forty percent, and the rest of the world was like." on average about 20%. And we said, you know, this is a problem for us. You know, as Larry called it, it's a 20% head start for all the countries we're competing with because they've got a lower penalty that they face. And as a result of that, companies were leaving the United States and they were going to Ireland or they were going to Canada or they are going to Mexico. This was called inversions, where mm-hmm. companies were giving up their American citizenship to move somewhere else. So anyway, we said to Trump, we think you should have a 20% rate in your tax plan. And I'll never forget, he sat back and he said, no, I, I'm not going to do that. And we said, well, why? He said, I want 15%. And what was so interesting about that was that um, from that moment until we passed the bill in Dece- late December of 2017, he always insisted on 15%. You know, when he was in a meeting with Mitch McConnell or Paul Ryan or any public declaration, 15, 15, 15. And I'll never forget, we we're waiting for uh, the final vote in the Senate because we needed to get 50 votes in the Senate to pass this. Mm-hmm. We were nervous about whether we could do this. Remember on Obamacare, we came up with 49 votes, one yeah. vote short. Yeah. So we didn't want to come up with 49 again. And so we're very nervous. We're waiting for McConnell to come back from his come to Jesus moment, you know, when they had their final meeting in the House, I mean, the Senate Republican caucus to see if they had 50 votes. And I remember he walks in, goes right up to the president. He said, you know, Mr. President, I'm so sorry I failed you. I know you wanted that 15% tax rate. And I made every argument I 
possibly could. And, you know, I'm just, I, I, I failed you, Mr. President. What can I say? You know, I made, I just couldn't convince my colleagues. I said, I couldn't get you that 15%. He said, would you take 20%? Well, Trump, <laughs> like, yeah, I'll take that in a minute. And I really believe this, the, the really interesting thing about that story is I always thank God. Thank you, God, that Donald Trump didn't listen to Larry and I. He does <laughs> understand the art of the deal. Uh-huh. I think he wanted 20% all along. But you understand, if you want to end up at 20%, you know, that's not your opening bid, right? Right. So he started at 15. And I, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if he had started at 20% like Larry and I had we would have ended up at about 27 or 28 percent. It's because he started at 15, the ne- negotiated position was 20. Well, we ended up actually at 21 percent. Do you think? Do you think basically that is his secret sauce to everything? I mean, we could even take this outside of the world of economics. Just that that negotiating like that is basically that is his greatest skill. Period. Well, you know the name of his book, right? The art of the, the deal. The art of the deal. Yeah. Right. He's yeah. a good negotiator. He is. This episode of The Rubin Report comes to you with support from our friends over at Bravo Company Manufacturing. In the Second Amendment, the Founding Fathers guaranteed an individual the right to protect themselves. Owning a rifle is an awesome responsibility and building rifles is no different. Started in a garage by a Marine veteran more than two decades ago, Bravo Company Manufacturing, or BCM for short, builds a professional grade product which is built to combat standards. This is because BCM believes that the same level of protection should be provided to every American regardless if they're a private citizen or professional. Bravo Company Manufacturing is not a sporting arms company. They design, engineer, and manufacture life-saving equipment. BCM assumes that when a rifle leaves their shop, it'll be used in a life-or-death situation by a responsible citizen, law enforcement officer, or a soldier overseas, so quality is of utmost value to them. Every component of a BCM rifle is hand-assembled and tested by Americans in Heartland, Wisconsin to a life-saving standard. BCM has always put people before products. They build their products because they feel it's their moral responsibility as Americans to provide tools that will not fail the end user when it's not just a paper target, but someone coming to do them harm. Because of this, BCM knows that making reliable, life-saving tools is only half the story. They also work with leading instructors of marksmanship from top levels of America's special operations forces. To learn more about Bravo Company Manufacturing, head on over to bravocompanymfg.com where you can discover more about their products, special offers and upcoming news. That's bravocompanymfg.com. Need more convincing? Find out even more about BCM and the awesome people who make their products at youtube.com slash bravocompanyusa. And now back to the show. You know, I've seen him many times in person and he knows how to negotiate. Uh, you know, that's what's made him successful in business. And, you know, uh, look, he's made mistakes as president. I'm not an apologist for Trump. I, I, I like you know, where we are with the economy. But yeah, I think this is one of his assets. He's a very good negotiator. So where are we exactly right now with the economy? Good. Because depending good. on who you listen to, uh, well, it first seems of all, like let we're me all say this. I mean, if I had told you three years ago that, you know, after say three years of Trump, not quite three, but we're good, we would have the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years the lowest inflation rate in 50 years, the lowest interest rates in 50 years, and the, the biggest wage gains in 30 years, that's a pretty darn good economy. And that's what we have right now. We have 7.1 million surplus jobs in the United States. Think about this. That's never happened before in the history of our country. Hmm. Uh, 7.1 million uh, unfilled jobs. That's larger than the entire population of the state of Indiana. That's how many surplus jobs. That, you know, what that means is Workers have bargaining power. It goes back to what we were saying before. So, you know, you don't like your job working for Joe's. You can go down the, you know, street and work for Susan. She's going to give you, a, you know, a higher offer. We just had a negotiations between the UAW and GM. You, the UAW, it looks like, you know, they've gotten pretty much 
what they wanted in these negotiations. Why? Because there aren't any, it's not like UAW can go find other workers. You know, there's a shortage of them. So I think it's been a positive thing for workers. Let me summarize. If you are an American worker and you are looking for a job and you have some kind of useful skill, this is the best labor market in, our, in any of our lifetimes. It's really good. So well, can it continue? I think it can. So you mentioned regulation before. How do you figure out where the moments are that you have to use the touch of government? Because as you said, you are for some level of regulation. So let me put it, uh, the way I like to put it is, look, we all believe in, not all of us, but most of us believe in <laughs> Be careful. sound regulation that that, uh, you know, that makes the economy run and stops cheaters and things like that. I have a so, lot of libertarians that watch this show. They'll, they'll be, just no by regulation. saying the word regulation. I have friends who be- don't even believe you should have to write, drive on the right side of the road. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. look, yeah. my point is that um, you, I believe regulations should be guardrails right on the road. So to keep you on the road, you know, not, and the left believes that a lot of the regulations should be roadblocks to prevent people from, you know, we want our businesses to succeed, but we want them to stay on the straight and narrow. Too many times, I saw this in the Obama administration, too many times the, the regulations were just meant to bring these companies to an abrupt stop. And mm-hmm. I think that's the difference. We want regulation that makes sense, that's cost effective, and that achieves its mission without disrupting our economy in a way that will destroy jobs. Can you give me an example of, of a regulation that Trump has cut? You know, there was the original, wasn't there that idea at one point that if for every new regulation yeah. he was going to pass, he was going to cut something like 70 regulations? Two. He said, why every new one we'd get rid of two, and actually so far every new one we've gotten rid of 20. So he's been a so, big deregulator. So can I, you give an example of where something like that that he's cut has actually helped? Oh, the well, the best example is in the energy area. I mean, you know, uh, Barack Obama and his team hated the fossil fuel industry. They hated shale, oil, and gas. They hated the coal producers. So they passed regulations that were, by the way, the, the law says that regulations should be passed in a way that, where they're achievable for an industry. In other mm-hmm. words, that the, they shouldn't be designed to bankrupt a company. To take but, out But industry, in the yeah. area of coal, they, the intention was precisely to just put the coal producers out of business. And it hurt our oil and gas. It, now we've got a situation where we're producing more oil and gas and coal than ever before. We're producing more nuclear power. And, and that's created, you know, for the first time in our, you know, again, in your my lifetime, we're actually producing more oil and gas than we're consuming. I mean, that's a pretty... That's a pretty cool thing to think about. We're no longer, you know, susceptible to oil embargoes or, you know, the Russian influence. Uh, you know, we, you know, we saw what happened when the um, Iranians bombed the um, oil fields in Saudi Arabia. That was mm-hmm. what about three, four weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, if that had happened before the shale revolution that we have going on. The price of gasoline, well, what are you paying here in California? You pay a lot for gas. I don't gas. even know what it is. Anymore. Yeah. I have an electric it's car like now, so I'm not even a sure. But yeah. on the East Coast where yeah. I live, you know, you pay maybe $3 a gallon. The price of gas probably would have gone to about $6 a gallon if it hadn't been for the fact that the United States is actually now producing a lot of oil and gas ourselves. With the holidays right around the corner, we're all starting to think about the perfect gifts for our loved ones. Well, think no further as I've found a really special gift for the special people in your life. Check out paintyourlife.com where you can have an original painting by a world-class artist done by hand from any photo at an affordable price. You choose the artist whose work you most admire and give feedback on the progress every step of the way until every detail is perfect. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded. With Paint Your Life, you'll get your favorite 
memories transformed into a work of art that'll be cherished forever. I already have a beautiful family portrait with Emma hanging right in my home. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 30% off your painting. That's right, 30% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text RUBIN to 64000. That's R-U-B-I-N to 64000. Text R-U-B-I-N to 64000. And now back to the show. So do you think that the, the primary role of the government basically is to make sure that the economy is running right? Is that really the first thing that the government has to do? It's to protect to our life and our liberty, you know, and the reason we have laws is to, you know, to make sure that I don't violate your rights and you don't ri violate my rights. And, you know, um, I, my, I, I'm kind of old-fashioned. I believe if I'm doing something that doesn't, um, you know, interfere with your rights to life and liberty, that you should be able to do it. I don't like laws that are intended to, for example, protect my, me from myself. Mm -hmm. you know, right. I think adults should be able to do pretty much. I don't like drugs. I don't like tobacco. I don't, I've never, I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. Mm -hmm. But if you want to do drugs, I think you're stupid to no do comment, them. No comment, no comment. But, you know, I, I don't yeah. think the government should be involved in those kind of decisions. Yeah. Um, what else should we know about Trump as someone that has spent some time with him? Like, not even the, the negotiating yeah. part. I mean, he gave us a little insight into just the, the human part. But well, it's a little hard to just a, figure it out through the media. You know? One of the things that impressed me the most, when I wrote the book Trumponomics with my friend Art Laffer, the first few chapters that I'd recommend people read are just, if they're interested in you know, how Trump operates, is to read those. Because we really talk about how Trump, just as a as a person, what's he like? And he's um, one of the things that first impressed me when we went. We were called by uh, Corey Lewandowski, who was running the campaign back uh, then, and we'll go down the history books for getting Trump through that Republican nomination. Uh, you know, Trump called us in like something like January of 2016 and said, hey, you know, Mr. Trump would like to meet you and Larry Kudlow at uh, you know Trump Tower. And so I was curious about what the Trump movement was just sort of getting going at that yeah. point. But I, you could sense something was going on, and I wanted to see what it was all about. And I, I say in the book, when I when I walked in that room. I, I knew 15 of the other 16 Republicans were running for president. I mean, I know Marco Rubio, I know John Kasich, I knew, you know, uh, Jeb Bush, I'd met them all. The only one I'd never met was, was Donald Trump, so mm -hmm. I was kind of curious. And I say in the book, when I walked in that room, I did not like him. I did not like his persona. I thought he was kind of a blowhard. I thought his run for presidency was a publicity stunt, frankly. And we spent about an hour and 20 minutes with him, and I walked out with stars in my eyes. He's an incredibly charming, charismatic person. and. He's always personally been very good to me. You know, he doesn't throw people under the bus that are, you know, loyal to him. And I've tried to, you know, be loyal to, you know, to him. And he he's, he's, uh, goes both ways. When I went through the Fed Reserve nomination and just got pulverized by, you know, all these accusations against me, you know, I remember I would call Trump up and call the president and say, Mr. President, you know, if this is a problem for you, you know, that, you know, I hate black people and I hate midgets and I hate Jews and I hate, you know, all these allegations. I said, look, if you, if you, you know, there's a problem, I'm happy to step You do down. realize that that's the clip that people are going to put online. Yeah, no, <laughs> but let me be very clear. Bro. I don't hate Jews. I don't have blacks. I don't have midgets. I'm saying that's what, you know, the kind of yes, thing they yes. were saying about me. Yeah. And anyway, so, um, the, uh, you know, I said, you know, Mr. President, that's a problem for you. I don't want to embarrass you. He said, he was, get back there, keep fighting, you know. And one thing I do, you know, respect about Trump, and there, look, Trump has, you know, I don't 
a lot of the things he does and says I don't like at all. I wish he would stop tweeting, for example. But, uh, you know, what I went through was for about three or four weeks of just getting pulverized in the media. And finally, mm-hmm. my wife said, if you stay in this, I'm going to divorce you. Wow. <laughs> you wow. know? And so I just said, OK, I can't take this anymore. Trump took, has taken a thousand times, you know, what I took and day after day after day after day. And yet he never lets, you know, uh, it, it just wore me down. Yeah. You know, how, me, how do you he think, how do you think he does that? I don't. He's like a superhero quality or something in the sense, you know, it's like he's got a coat of armor or something that, you know, protects him from, you know, be, from these insults and stuff. Uh, you know, he's always called a racist. And, and that's the other thing I found, you know. I couldn't believe, you know, how many, you know, blacks and uh, minorities he had working for him, and they loved him. And so, you know, he's not a perfect person by any means. He's got a lot of faults, but I think he's a, he's a, uh, he, the one thing you always ask me, what is drives him? And it really is, how do we make America great again? And how do we, how do we make sure that the economy is working for middle class blue collar workers? Because those are the people who elected Trump. You know, those were the people in. Erie, Pennsylvania, and Lansing, Michigan, and Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and Charleston, West Virginia, who, frankly, were pissed off at both parties, the Democrats and Republicans. They didn't like the Bush years. They didn't like the Obama years. And uh, Trump knows the people who brought him to the stance. Ever wish you could always have perfectly pressed clothes but hate to iron and don't want to spend lots of money on dry cleaning? Well, now there's the Turbo Extreme Steam handheld steamer from Conair. It's easier and faster than an iron and saves you a ton on dry cleaning. This lightweight, compact model is the most powerful handheld steamer with 1,875 watts of turbocharged steam. It literally gets you fresh, pressed, and out the door in minutes. It heats up in a hurry with five steam settings for everything from delicates to suits, so I like to steam my shirts and jackets right before the show. The turbo setting smooths away even the toughest wrinkles on thick fabrics like sweaters. This steamer has a dual slotted ceramic plate that lets you press like an iron without the ironing board, and it has a built-in creaser so you can make perfect pleats like the dry cleaner does. Try Conair's Turbo Extreme Steam handheld steamer and you'll be amazed at how great it makes your clothes look. It even works on curtains, your bed, and your pet's bed, you name it. Available online at multiple retailers, and now back to the show. Do you think there's any risk in having a sort of pure businessman as the chief executive? I think it's a breath of fresh air. I think that's the reason he won. Um, I think people were sick of politicians. Remember, what was his closing argument in the election? Do you remember the campaign? Well, there were a couple things. That, one of yeah. them is, what do you have to lose? Yeah, that, that one, one was one a good one. The big ones. Yeah, the, one, the other one was, drain the swamp. Yeah. And I got to tell you, that really appealed to people around the country because Washington, this is one of my little pet peeves, and Trump tapped into this. Washington is getting rich at the, at the expense of the rest of us. You know, three of the five wealthiest counties in the United States are in or around Washington. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Yeah. Three of the five. How did we do that? We, I, I live, I've lived in Washington for 30 years. We don't produce anything. Yeah. We, all we produce is law, laws, lawyers, politicians, rules, regulations, and we're getting rich at the expense of the rest of the country. And you know what? The American people finally caught on. You know, it's like, wait a minute. You know, we're sending all our money to Washington. We send them, you know, a trillion dollars. They send us $900 billion back, and they keep the rest of the money. And I, I think that's uh, something that I really admire about Trump. He is trying to drain the swamp, but it's, boy, is that tough to do. Yeah, so, okay, so some of the principles you laid out here strike me as a lot of common sense stuff, and I definitely fall in line with that. When you now hear 
the ideas of socialism being thrown around as if this is the right set of ideas, or when you listen to, say, mm -hmm. Bernie or Elizabeth Warren, and yeah. the amount of government involvement they want to uh, use to create their, you know, perfect utopian society. Mm -hmm. um, are you shocked that these ideas gain traction? I am. Yeah. I'm not, I don't think shock would be the term I'd use. I'm distressed. I mean, these, you know, I was, I'm lucky enough to have been friends with Milton Friedman, who was maybe, you know, the greatest economist of the last 200 years, at least since Adam Smith. And, you know, he was just a wise man in so, so many things. And I was on the front page of the New York Times in a compilation with him as, as some of the leaders of the far right. That's, wow. how, that's how bananas how, the media is. So, cool. so I'm sympathetic yeah. to your, and, you know, to your wife's situation. An amazing yeah. guy. And he, I remember towards the end of his life, you know, which was around the turn of the century. He died in the early, you know, early um, 2000s. He said to me, and it was a kind of in despair, he said, Steve, what is the most enduring lesson of the 20th century? And, you know, I think we both agreed. I think most people agree. The enduring lesson of the 20th century is that communism, socialism, Nazism, Maoism, Bernie Sandersism, whatever you want to call these things, these government controls of the economy, they're a failure. And free enterprise system is a success. You know, that's, the, that's what everybody should have learned over the last 100 years. It's how the United States of America became the most powerful, economically powerful nation in the world. Uh, and then he said, but yet the lesson everyone seems to have learned is we need more socialism. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's like, well, how, you know, it's, so it is disturbing. I mean, we have so Do you think that's just lazy evidence. thinking? I mean, what, what do you think that is? Is it a, is it a branding of capitalism that's yes. wrong? Are we, are, have we grown fat on all of the excesses yes. because it's so freaking great? I think both great? of those things. You know, make two great points. Number one, capitalism, we, I don't really use the term capitalism anymore because it's seen as greed and you know the rich getting richer. So it, I think we've lost that term. I, I talk about free enterprise system, and you know let people start businesses, let people do what they want to do, let the let the economy work itself out. Um, the other point you make is I do think we become fat and happy, and especially the millennials who you know you've seen these polls. Fifty-two percent of college graduates now think that socialism is superior to free market capitalism. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know how stupid is that to believe that? <laughs> and yet that's you know part of that is the schools. We've done a horrible job of allowing you know the left to take over our government school system and now we're paying a high price for that we're turning out kids who don't know anything about anything yeah. and so um it's a it's a big task we have at hand but you know the uh, one other thing i don't even think we should call them socialists you know people like elizabeth warren and bernie sanders are authoritarians mm -hmm. they're they're the opposite you were not you know you were saying that you have libertarian tendencies and i do too I, I don't want the government to tell me what to do that's it they do want the government they want they want the government to tell you what kind of straw you can use what kind of light bulb you can use in your room what kind of what you have to set your thermostat at what kind of car you can drive what kind of school you can go what to kind of school i mean they want control of everything and when i talk to young people i mean this is my plea i'm so glad to do the show because i know you've got a great <laughs> audience for young people watching the show Freedom and liberty are precious commodities. You know, most people in the world don't have the freedoms and liberties that you and I have or the people watching the show. Guard those jealously. I mean, people, millions of Americans have given up their lives to safeguard those freedoms and liberties. And now we've got a whole generation of kids who's willing to just throw those liberties and freedoms away. I mean, it distresses me. Well, one of the things that I always find so confusing about it is that the arguments run so thin. So just in the last couple of weeks, AOC was giving a speech on how she didn't want Mark Zuckerberg to be in charge of her healthcare. <laughs> exactly. Now, I get it. I don't really want Mark Zuckerberg to be in charge of my healthcare. I don't know exactly yeah, why right. she was saying that. But it's like, 
well, what she wants is Bernie to be in charge exactly. of your health care. And it's like, I don't know, who's worse out of those two? You know it's who like, should be in charge of your health care? You. You, exactly. And we yeah. should all be, you know, this is the danger. I mean, think about this. The two industries, I talk about this in every speech I give. What two industries in America are most dominated by government? Healthcare and, and education. And education. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> These are the two industries we've we basically turned over to the government. I mean, right. look, our healthcare system is fifty percent private, fifty percent government. Right. And now uh, the progressives don't want school choice either, which is of completely course. insane. So think about this though. So you got the two industries that are most run by government. Guess which two industries have had the biggest increase in costs over the last fifty years? I think education. I'm with you. I think I'm with you here. Right? You don't yeah. have to be a genius here. Yeah. So wait a minute. Then I asked my liberal friends, why do we have the government pay such a big role in education healthcare? You know what they say? To make it more affordable. Gee, they're doing a wonderful job of it, aren't they? So, so why not let, why not let every kid, you know, you and I have to start a movement. Every child in America, whether black, brown, or you know, uh, whatever color, whatever income range, wherever they live, it, the, it is a disgrace that we're sending millions of kids to failing schools. Mm -hmm. Why not allow every single American to have the right that Barack Obama had when he moved to Washington, D.C. and moved into public housing, right, in the mm -hmm. White House? What did he do? He didn't send their, his kids to the public schools. He sent them to elite private schools. Yeah. Why can't we let every single American have that same right and have the schools compete for kids? And, yeah. you know, competition is a wonderful thing. Well, just, I mean, literally just this morning, we're going to hold this video for a couple of days, but I just saw Elizabeth Warren tweet this morning about how she basically wants to take out charter schools. And it's like... She did? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. I, I just so retweeted it this morning. I mean, yeah. it's like... They want to force people. That, this gets to the whole idea you and I were just talking about. Who can make a better decision about what schools their kids should go to? Elizabeth Warren or the parents of those kids? Who do you think cares more about those kids? You know? <laughs> what do you think, the, to give the devil his due here, what do you think the root of what these people think is? Like, right, like, so, okay, we can sit here and agree that their, their ideas are bad, let's say. But they obviously I think don't they believe have a that. trust they, in government. They, they just have a fundamental trust in, I think, in something else. Well, look, I think there's a... There's a sinister answer to that, you know, and, the, and then there's, the, I do think some just believe government is good, and all we need is just to spend more money on the public schools. That's all we've been doing for the last 50 years, and they're getting worse, not better. You know, so my attitude is just from, I don't care what your political philosophy is, if you keep doing something over and over and it doesn't work, you stop doing it, right? Yeah. But the other thing is, let's be honest about this. Who runs the government schools? The teachers unions do. What is the most powerful? 35% of the delegates in the Democratic Convention are or teachers unions members. Mm -hmm. They run the Democratic Party. And the, the, unfortunately, too many Democrats put the interests of the teachers unions ahead of the kids who are, though we have the schools that are supposed to be served. It's already December. As much as we love getting seasonal, this month can be a bit stressful too. We've all got a long list of things to do for the holidays. If life insurance is one of those things way down on your list, Policy Genius might be able to help you cross it off. They'll find you the right life insurance at the best price and do all the work to help you get covered. Policy Genius makes finding the right life insurance a breeze. In minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price. You could save 1,500 or more a year using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape. And Policy Genius doesn't just make life insurance easy. They can also help you find the right home and auto insurance or disability insurance. So when you're looking at your workplace benefits this month, make sure to double check your life insurance options. Then go to policygenius.com to get quotes and apply in minutes. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. And now back to the show. 
All right, we literally only no, have five. No, 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 we only have five. No, I know. We only have five <laughs> minutes left because you you got to get to Next Fox. Time it's I'm okay. in LA, can I come back yes, on the show? Yes, you I'd can love absolutely come back, and we'll do it with no we'll do it with no time limit. But, <laughs> I, but in five minutes, this is going to be almost impossible. Can you give me a, a sort of basic breakdown of where we're at with China? I think this is pretty much the most confusing thing right now. People have no idea. What, what is being ramped so up? So it's right not now. just confusing. Yeah. This is the issue of our time. Okay. You know, this is, I've called this. Well, congratulations. I've given yeah. you five minutes. Yeah, I know. It. It's the epic battle of our time. Just as, you know, in the, from the 1950s through, you know, the late 80s, you know, it was this, the Cold War with, with the Soviet Union. Now we have an epic battle between, I think this is the new Cold War. I really do. And I think that this is World War Four. you know, mm. that we've got. I mean, uh, China Wait, is. why do you skip three there? Pardon me? Why do you skip World War Well, III? I think you could say the Cold War was sort of World oh, War III. Oh, okay. okay. You know, uh, but in any case, I'm, I mean, I'm exaggerating a little <laughs> bit. But what my point I'm making is China is becoming increasingly a menace on the world scene. Uh, they had marched towards freedom. Look, Mao was the single greatest villain maybe who ever walked on the planet Earth. I mean, he killed, you know, tens and tens of millions of his own people. Um, and then finally they moved away from communism, which we were talking about before, and they, embr- they started to embrace privatization and free enterprise, not fully, but they moved in that direction. And yet a boom! I mean, one of the great booms ever in history, what happened in China over the last 30 years. The problem has been they've moved more in a Stalinistic direction now. And so they're building up their military. They're cheating on trade deals. They've never opened up their markets to us. It's we're in the way I describe it to to, to Donald Trump, not that he needed any urging on this because he got this. We are in an abusive trade relationship with China. We've opened up our markets to them. They have not opened up their markets to us. They're stealing our intellectual property. We, I, I applaud Trump for finally calling them out on this. It's about time. Where this is right now, the ball's in their court. We have a mini deal right now, but look, China could, you can't trust these people as far as you could spit. I mean, the problem is they also don't keep their word. Hmm. So it's a, it's a tricky situation, but this is this is a battle that's not going to be resolved in the next three months or six months or a year or two. It's probably going to go on for a decade or two. And the big issue is, will the United States or China be the world economic superpower over the next 25, 30 years? You know who I'm going to put my money on? I think you're putting it on the U.S. You know why? Because we still do have a free enterprise system. They are command and control. They have the, you know, they have the Elizabeth Warren type of economy. So you think it doesn't work? So you think ultimately that sort of thing might work at some level for some period of time, but ultimately it It fails. Show me any time. I would say to my liberal friends, show me any time, any place, anywhere where that model has worked. It didn't work for the. Soviet Union. It hasn't worked for North Korea. It didn't work for Hugo Chavez in Venezuela. It didn't work for Castro. I mean, it's never worked anywhere because the genius of the free enterprise system is the millions of actors who make decisions. The idea that you can have a few politicians in a central politburo that can make the decisions about an economy with you know, millions and millions of decisions, I mean, it's, it's ludicrous. It will break down. I'm putting my money on Silicon Valley, and you know, and the they've American got their own set of problems though because of uh, how lefty they've gone. But that that's a whole other topic that we'll have to discuss next time. I think you proved to me you're. By the way, economist. we have one other big yes. advantage over China. Yeah, I always say this in my speeches: our Chinese are smarter than their Chinese. <laughs> Uh, I think you proved to me you're an economist here because uh, we probably got the most amount of ideas packed into the shortest show I've ever done. It's called efficiency, my friend. That is efficiency. (laughs) There you go. You guys can follow uh, Steve at Stephen Moore on Twitter, and we will have him back for, uh, for a full episode soon enough. All right, thanks.